This is Sarah O'Connell. And this is Jonah Trebowasser. Welcome back to another edition of the award-winning Radio Rotary. Each week we chat with our neighbors about great things happening in your community and around the world. People applying Rotary's motto of service above self. And Jonah, today our special guest is Dr. David Strayer, who is a freshwater ecologist, and we'll be discussing the Hudson River and some of the organisms that inhabit it. Now, you're not one of them, are you, Jonah? Well, I, don't, I inhabit, I inhabit <laughs> near the Hudson River. Good morning, Dr. David. David Strayer. Hi, good morning. So, uh, where are you, a is doctor? Is he an organism? Uh, in the broadest <laughs> sense, yes, he is an organism, although not an aquatic one. Uh, David, where are you, you a go. doctor? Where am I a doctor? Yeah. Uh, I have a PhD organiz- from Cornell. Right, but no, what organization are you with? Uh, I work at the Cary Institute of Ecosystem Studies in Millbrook. Which is one of our favorite places because... Uh, it's around the corner from Moi. Right. That's right, and also we've had a lot of wonderful, interesting guests from there, and we've got one of our great friends of Radio Rotary, Heather Malcolm, works with you, right? That's right. Great Rotarian. And um, Dr. David's uh, wife, um, Judy Bondis, is a past president of the Millbrook Rotary Club. Oh, well, did you know that? I did know that. That was Millbrook Rotary trivia. Right. And did you know but, how um, important the Hudson River is? We're about to find out with our guest, Dr. David Strayer. Uh, so, and the organisms. Right. Doctor, I love you know, that word. Uh, uh, Dr. Dave, we, we have a Hudson River. It is gorgeous. It is beautiful. And maybe 30, 40 years ago, people were told, don't eat any fish out of it. Don't swim in it. There uh, are no more organisms. Right. What, what's the current condition of the Hudson? Well, um, it, it's really mixed. Uh, in some respects, the Hudson is a, in much better shape than it was 30 or 40 years ago, largely because of the Clean Water Act and other water pollution control legislation that came in in the 60s and 70s. Most of the Hudson is now safe to swim in and uh, and is a much cleaner, more pleasant river than it was in, say, 1972, because we've stopped dumping raw sewage into the river, which helps a lot. In other respects, the Hudson still has a ways to go. The fish still are not safe to eat. Most of the fish in the Hudson are not safe to eat because of uh, PCB contamination from the General Electric plants up uh, in Explain Port what Edward. those initials exactly. mean. Exactly. Yeah, what I'm sorry. That PCBs, okay. PCBs are polychlorinated biphenyls. I'm glad you said that. Yes. And it's, uh, I, I was wondering if I could. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're a class of chemical compounds that were used in electrical capacitors in the mid-20th century. They're very persistent in the environment, and they build up in organisms, especially mm-hmm. in fatty tissue. So the fish in the Hudson, most of the fish that, that, that live their whole lives in the Hudson are badly contaminated with PCBs and aren't safe to eat today. Hmm. So how long of a cycle would you project, if there is a possibility of even projecting this, would the fish, uh, the life, fish life in the Hudson be free of the PCBs? I, I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, the dredging project in the upper Hudson that's going on right now mm-hmm. is intended to shorten that time and make the fish safe to eat sooner than they would how, otherwise how, be. How does that work? How does the dredging, dredging work? Yeah, how does the dredging work to make this fish safer? They're actually removing huge volumes of contaminated sediments using various kinds of dredging apparatus mm. and pulling it right out of the river, and then they'll, they'll be restoring parts of the river bottom after they remove the most contaminated sediments. So it's the sediment sediments. on the bottom. It's not dredging the fish. No, right? you don't dredge the, the fish. fish. Okay. PCBs don't dissolve in water very well, so they accumulate in the sediments and in the organisms. Mm. And, of course, there's a lot more 
weight of sediments than there is organisms. So if you're going to try to take PCBs out of the river, you go for the sediments. So were there a lot of controls or, I mean, legislation, but there were a lot of things that happened that restricted also, what was it, is it the GE plant that was contributing to some of the pollutants in the Hudson Valley? Isn't there some industry? Well, there were a lot of industries that dumped various kinds of pollutants into the river. In the mid-20th century, when the PCBs were put into the river, the GE didn't even require a permit to, to do that. Uh, so there was a lot of unregulated dumping. So one okay. of the, I guess the, one of the strengths of the Clean Water Act, besides building sewage treatment plants mm-hmm. to remove raw sewage from being dumped into the river, is it also restricted the, the kinds of pollutants that could be dumped into the river with, without permits and required a, you know, a permitting process. Yeah, and we're very fortunate today to have scientists like Dr. David Strayer, our guest from the Cary Institute, to uh, advise the public about what is or is not uh, appropriate conduct. You know, we, we, li- we live in a throwaway society, uh, certainly uh, post-war, where, you know, hey, you know, you bought it, you didn't bother fixing it, you just threw it away, and that's sort of catching up with us now. The Dr. David Strayer, Dr. David, uh, you've got a new book out, The Hudson Primer, An Ecology of an Iconic River. What's that book about? It's a very brief introduction to the way the river's ecosystem works. What's an ecosystem? An ecosystem, it's all of the living and non-living pieces of the Hudson River. So in the case of the Hudson River ecosystem, it would include the sediments, the water, the chemicals in the water, the fishes, the plankton, the bacteria, everybody working together in a sort of a complicated interacting system. Yeah, I think most people don't seem to appreciate that all parts of the environment um, are dependent upon each other. You know, uh, all right, they, they, they understand when they go to the supermarket that they're dependent on, you know, uh, fruits, vegetables, meats. They know that they, they need to consume those to live, but they don't understand also that it's a whole uh, web of life that we're talking about. Um, doctor, could you expand about that a little bit? Well, um, people talk about ecosystems as being a system of connected parts. And right. Barry Commoner, who just died recently, uh, used to say that one of the big elect lessons of ecology was that everything is connected to everything else. Mm -hmm. That's true, but really the art and science of understanding ecosystems is understanding which connections are strong and which are weak. Not all connections are equal. And one of the big advances in the scientific understanding of the Hudson in the last few decades has been sort of showing which of the connections are really strong and important and which of them are weak enough that they you know, can be disregarded when we're thinking about managing the river. So, Dr. David Strayer of the Cary Institute, what first got you interested in becoming uh, an ecologist and an environmental scientist? Most boys want to grow up to it's be firemen. a freshwater ecologist. Yeah. I mean, but I'm saying most, most boys want to grow up to be policemen or firemen. I wanted to grow up to be a radio announcer, personally. But uh, what <laughs> got doesn't? you? And you see, he's not out of his childhood, I know. as you That's can right. see, because here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dr. David, what got you interested in this? No, I, I just liked water when I was a kid. I oh, mean, yeah? that's something. All kids like, you know, floating sticks down the right. down a creek or whatever, and I liked water. And I spent a lot of time fishing in badly polluted waters in Michigan, where I grew up. And then when I got to college, I discovered that there was a scientific study of ecosystems, of, of the living world, that was really uh, both a hard science and sort of an aesthetically pleasing thing to try to do. I mean, we're trying to understand, we're trying to understand how these complicated systems work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how long have you been at um, 
the um, at at the Cary Institute. I've been at Cary 29 years, and I've been working on the Hudson for 22. So you've really seen the um, comeback, for lack of a better word. I, I don't know what the scientific term would be, the rehabilitation of the of the Hudson. I've seen both the comeback and the deterioration of the Hudson. Let me be clear about this. The Hudson, uh, Joan asked me a minute ago sort of how the Hudson is doing these mm-hmm. days. Right. In some respects, it's it's doing great. In some respects, it's recovering to an acceptable or a good condition. And in some respects, it's still continuing a long slide. And so I've at the same time, I've seen things like the water quality, the ability to swim in the Hudson get better. Mm-hmm. I've also seen things like the arrival of species from other parts of the world that damage the ecosystem. Well, and how do they get there? Because we're not careful about moving species around. Uh-huh. Either someone thinks they have a cute fish in their aquarium, uh-huh. and it would be nice to have them in the lake, and they dump them out, or we're not careful about uh, the the sanitation of things like shipping, mm-hmm. and we just drag species around the world wherever we go. It's sort of like having uh, dirty boots and walking through the carpet of your house. Gotcha. You're going to leave tracks. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Gotcha. Interesting. Now, Dr. Dave, um, what can the average person do about water pollution? Uh, what are some of the tips you want to give uh, in, in the next minute uh, before we go to the break to people at home? Because they may say, well, gee, I don't live near the Hudson, so I'm not causing the problem. But isn't it true that the Hudson River has something called a watershed? Explain what a watershed is. Watershed is the area that contributes water to a body of water. So in the case of the Hudson, any rain that falls in eastern New York and some of the surrounding area as well, it either evaporates back up into the air or it runs down into the Hudson River and out into the Atlantic Ocean at New York City. So when somebody does something like uh, spill oil on the ground, it could get picked up by the rain. Uh, I know that, for example, leaking cars, they leak oil, they leak antifreeze, they're on a, a parking lot. It rains, and that could be picked up and washed right into the Hudson. Yeah, that's, problems. Th- that's right. I'd say one of the lessons of ecology is there's stuff doesn't go away. If you dump fertilizer on your lawn or pesticides on your lawn, or dump your used oil when you change the oil into your car, into your backyard, into, onto the ground. That stuff goes someplace, mm-hmm. and that someplace often is the Hudson River. And, you know, we're going to learn more about this in just a minute. But first, let me remind our listeners, they're in tune with Radio Rotary on the air and around the world by podcast on iTunes and at www.radiorotary.org. And speaking of being on the air around the world, I want to say hi to one of our newest li- listeners, Matumita Bishnu of the Kolkata area India Rotary Club, where she's president-elect. And my name is Jonah Trebowasser. My co-host is the lovely Sarah O'Connell. Our very special guest is Dr. David Strayer of the Cary Institute. And Sarah, who keeps us in fresh water every week here on Radio Rotary? Correction. Yes. Who keeps you out of hot water? Radio <laughs> Rotary, Rotary, Jonah Trebowasser. Yes, well, ma'am. Radio Rotary is sponsored by Rotary International, Rotary District 7210, and the Rotary Clubs of Congress Valley Cottage, Highland Hyde Park, Kinderhook Tri Village, Middletown, Millbrook, and Newburgh. And we'll be back with more Radio Rotary after these important messages. Alone, our reach is limited. No matter how great our intentions, On our own, we can only stretch so far. But at Rotary, we believe the right group of people working together can make our communities, our world, a better place. Rotary is a worldwide network of community volunteers dedicated to helping people in need. Learn more at rotary.org. Rotary. Humanity in motion. 
For information about Rotary in the Hudson Valley, visit www.rotarydistrict7210.org. Juddelson, Giordano, and Siegel, CPAPC, is a full-service accounting, tax, and business consulting firm. JGS specializes in business succession planning, including ownership transition, management transition, as well as family and non-family transitions. The JGS staff works alongside you to solve the problems of your specific business or personal situation. JGS is conveniently located on Route 211 in Middletown, New York. To learn more, please contact JGS at 845 or visit them on the web at www.jgspc.com. Juddelson, Giordano, and Siegel, your essential partner in business. Hudson Valley Talk Radio and online at HudsonValleyTalkRadio.com. Welcome back to this edition of Radio Rotary. I'm your co-host, Sarah O'Connell, and I'm joined by the always in hot water, join the tree blossom. And speaking of welcoming back, I want to welcome back my co-host, Sarah O'Connell, from her adventure in Vancouver, British Columbia. Thank you. Where she attended the Rotary Zone meeting. There were Rotarians from the United States, Canada, France, where else? Uh, Russia, Mexico, all parts of South America. And she went there to brag about... Radio Rotary. How about that? Yeah, they, yeah. We, well, it is bragging rights. Actually, we were, as a team, our show was selected by Rotary International as an outstanding project um, that is part of the P- public relations effort to heighten the awareness uh, and consciousness. The awareness, basically, globally, of Rotary and their good works. Um, it's not... Although, re- uh, although we're sponsored by Rotary International, the mission of our show is to embrace and enhance the the community and quality of life of those around us, and to give good information out to the everyday listener and bring wonderful guests like we have today, Dr. David Strayer. But it was, I really felt like I was there. Um, Dr. David's from um, the Cary Institute, and he's a freshwater ecologist. But before we cut to him, Joan, I just want to say, I did feel a little without my right arm there, giving the presentation alone. You you wouldn't let me sneak in with your luggage. (laughs) No, I had I had another uh, conference did. to attend, so uh, we we sent you, our ambassadors key, of goodwill. Ms. You sent Sarah me, O'Connell. and you were a keynote speaker someplace else. That's that right. Was very worthy of your. But uh, we're we're very honored and thrilled by that, and we're very honored and thrilled to have with us David Strayer uh, of the uh, Cary Institute Who's of Freshwater Ecology. He's an old friend Ecologist. of Radio Rotary, and you know what? He's got a lot of Rotarian contacts. He sure uh, does. Your wife's a member of Rotary. That's right. So and he was first man of my club there that for right? a while. For a and year. your son was a um, exchange student, wasn't he? Did yes, he, he was. He spent a wonderful year in Mumbai, India. Terrific, terrific. And one day we're going to get the doctor to come join Rotary as well. Well, right? he, but he he's comes. Not, he's you know involved. What? He's very busy because he is protecting our glorious, beautiful Hudson River. And uh, Dr. David, we were talking a little bit about the fact that the Hudson River has its ups and its downs and, and how people can avoid at home. Uh, adding to the uh, pollution of the Hudson River, even if they're not living near it, because uh, there's a large watershed, anything you do on the ground can be swept into the Hudson. Um, If you had a magic wand, if you had unlimited funds, if you were the king, what would you do to uh, get the Hudson back to its pristine uh, condition, where the fish would be edible and people could swim and things of that nature? 
Well, uh, Jonah, we're never going to get the Hudson back to its pristine condition. Uh-huh. Uh, there are there are things that even if even if I had the resources you just gave me, right. uh, we're not going to do it. Uh, however, there are a couple things that I think that we are doing that are very good. We're doing a much better job managing fisheries. We have much better awareness of things like activities in the watershed. Mm-hmm. Uh, two things, two challenges, I think, for the future that we're not meeting well, that if I really were the emperor of the world, uh, that I would see if we could do a better job on would be climate change and uh, the arrival of non-native species. I've already mentioned non-native species. Right. We have a ton of species from around the world that have come in, things like zebra mussels that have just turned the river upside down, water chestnut, a very unpopular plant that lives in the river shallows. And these species are continuing to arrive uninterrupted here in the Hudson Valley and causing all kinds of problems, both in the river and the watershed. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's get some, some basic information out. These are uh, these invasive species, or what they used to call alien species, yes. they latch on to the bottom of uh, recreational boats and things of that nature, and they come over here, or they're, they're coming in packing crates from China, I'm told, and they come over here, and because they don't have any natural predators... It's, it's, we talked about that balance of life in the first half of the show. Because nobody or no animal is it's their normal uh, predator, they get to explode. They get to b- reproduce uh, out of all sorts of proportions, and then they start choking things. Is that, is that a fair way of, of putting it? That, that's fair for some species. Yeah. So, for example, the emerald ash borer now is going to kill 7% of the trees in New York State. This all like of a, the ash is trees. So, is this like a weevil thing? It's or? a little tiny beetle. Okay. And... Uh, one of the reasons it causes so much damage here is that the, our ash trees have no natural defenses against right. this animal. The ash trees in Asia, where this animal is from, produce chemicals that that protect the tree. Our, our ash trees don't. However, there are non-native species that have come here that still take off and explode, even though there are predators. So, for example, the zebra mussel, which is this little shellfish that I work on, Mm -hmm. has filled up the Hudson River. There's more weight of zebra mussels in the Hudson than than there are all other animals in the river combined. No kidding. Really? And yet, it's absolutely hammered by blue crabs and by sturgeon and by a bunch of other predators. They just can't keep it in check. So it isn't all about... It isn't all about... uh, Having no enemies. It would right. be great to have no enemies. Um, Dr. Strayer, where did the um, tiger, is it tiger? Zebra Zebra. zebra yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, you, <laughs> something with stripes, yeah. <laughs> something like that. That's, that's okay, close. where did the zebra mussels come from if Ze- they're not, or, um, or, you know, their origin isn't from here? Zebra mussels are native to southeastern Europe, around the Black Sea, the Caspian Sea, that area. They came into North America in the mid-1980s in what's called ballast water. Ships take on huge... Uh, quantities of water mm-hmm. to uh, uh, to affect the stability and safety of the ship. You can think of ships, ocean-going ships, as being a large floating aquaria. They have mm-hmm. millions and millions of gallons of water, and anything that's living in that water when they pick it up in Europe, for example, uh, can get a free ride into North America. Now we've we've set up partial controls in ballast water here in the United States, but we still have millions and millions of gallons of untreated ballast water coming into this country. Well, just in particular to these mussels, why is it bad that they're here? Well, I wouldn't say it was bad that they're here. I'd say that they turned the river upside down. So they've made the water a little clearer. 
They've increased the content of dissolved nutrients. They've eaten the food that used to feed our shad populations in the river. They've uh, cleared up the water enough that there's maybe more rooted plant growth in the river shallows. Mm -hmm. Some of these things you'd say would be good, depending on Mm -hmm. if you like clear water. Some of the things would be bad if you like eating shad in the springtime, which you can't do anymore. So they've, they've, they disrupted the natural balance or the natural cycle of life? They disrupted the ecosystem. Okay. And they did it in a way with, where we didn't discuss this ahead of time. It isn't like the three of us got together with right. all our wisdom and right. said, it would be really nice to change the river in the following ways. Let's bring in zebra mussels. Instead, they just came in, mm-hmm. which is a, a heck of a way to manage the environment. So the, you're having just to manage it and react instead you're of You're cleaning up the mess. That's yeah. right. You know, okay. And one of the things, uh, uh, the practical things, the zebra mussels, uh, caused a, a problem with is uh, at one point it was clogging. They were clogging the water intake for the Queen City of Poughkeepsie, which gets its drinking water out of the Hudson. And I know they had to hire uh, divers at uh, substantial expense to scrape these zebra muffles off of the intake valve. Yeah, they, they, they follow all of the water intakes in the Hudson River and all the power plants and drinking water intakes uh, are spending money to prevent this problem. Well, what did they attach themselves? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The larvae of zebra mussels are microscopic and very numerous, hundreds per gallon of river water. Anywhere the untreated river water goes, the zebra mussel goes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to tell you, that diver who inspected the, the uh, water intake in Poughkeepsie has what I thought was one of the most unpleasant jobs in the world. Right. The pipe is a two-foot inside diameter pipe, which means mm-hmm. that he crawled into this pipe pitch black in 50 feet of water mm. and then had to scoot back out because the pipe isn't big enough for him to turn around him. Wow. Uh, he was telling me about this, and I was like, whatever they pay you, it's not <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, Sounds really wow. claustrophobic. Uh, you were talking also um, about climate change, and that used to be called global, wa- global warming. Some people think it's a myth. Some people think it's a looming disaster. Uh, Dr. David Strayer of the uh, Cary Institute, where do you come down on that uh, controversy? Well, uh, there, there isn't any scientific doubt about the fact that the climate is changing and is going to change, uh, despite what you might read in the newspapers or hear on the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's pretty clear that, that it's going to get warmer around here. Mm-hmm. We're going to see extreme storms uh, more often than we used to. Mm-hmm. And importantly for the Hudson, sea level is going to rise. The projections of sea level rise have, are, are, are not very precise, but it looks like by the year 2080, the Hudson will be the water level in the Hudson will come up one to two feet, maybe right. as much as five feet. Wow! And that goes all the way up to to Troy, all the way up past Albany to Troy. Obviously, that's going to affect the ecology of the river. It'll also affect riverfront property for two hundred and fifty kilometers, one hundred fifty miles up up along the river. Now, also, there's something called the salt front, where the the Atlantic wants to come up the Hudson, and the freshwater of the Hudson wants to go down to the Atlantic. And uh, the worry is that that salt front again will come up to the Poughkeepsie intake valves and make their water so salty they won't be able to drink it. Will uh, global warming or climate change affect that? I I think it's likely that it will. I have not seen any detailed models of that. But I'm sure you know that in in dry years already, there's too much salt in in Poughkeepsie Mm -hmm. for some some people to be drinking that Mm -hmm. water. And so it wouldn't take a very big shift in the balance of the salt front to, to cause some problems. Well, Dr. David Strayer of the Cary Institute, we'll have to have you back because we didn't even touch half of what we wanted to talk about with you. We want to thank you so much for everything you do to keep our Hudson clean, and thank you for joining us on Radio Rotary. 
Well, thank you for inviting me. And Sarah, who do we have to thank for bringing us Radio Rotary this week? Well, Jonah, Radio Rotary was sponsored this week by Rotary International, Rotary District 7210, and the Rotary Clubs of New City, New Windsor, Cornwall, North Rockland, Pleasant Valley, Red Hook, and Rhinebeck, New York. For our entire Radio Rotary team, our engineer Jay Verzi, our producer Betty Renner, and my co-host, the lovely Sarah O'Connell, this is Jonah Trebowasa. Thank you for tuning in. Join us again next week right here on your favorite radio station.